Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's Sunday, January January the 11th, 2009. It is actually Christina and I's sixth wedding anniversary. And uh, for some reason, she seems to be all kind of nappy. She seems to be getting a little bit lazy during the day of late. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on at night, but uh, there does seem to be a certain amount of lassitude. Uh, The silverware for my breakfast uh, brunch, I guess breakfast slash brunch brunch buffet tray was in the wrong place uh, this morning. Uh, Naturally, I went on about a 90-second hunger strike, uh, so... um, uh, I just wanted to sort of keep that. Uh, mentioning uh, Isabelli is three weeks and uh, three days old now. Uh, it's actually coming up for a month, and uh, parenting is is uh, wonderful and exciting and thrilling. And uh, she's had a couple of uh, tougher evenings um, just because she's going through these growth spurts, and uh, so she's had a little bit more trouble settling, but uh, she's still been. Uh, fantastic and uh, and uh, wonderful and a uh, good-natured and and sweet and so uh, it's just been been great and I I'll do this in a more detailed podcast but it just one of the things that I've noticed about <laughs> parenting and of course we're talking uh, I guess a little over three weeks experience so again it's all nonsense but I sort of noticed that parent if you were to have kids because you wanted love from them at least when they were very young and you wanted authority, uh, I, I can guarantee you that that will be quite a disappointment for you, that you don't get love from babies. They certainly, She certainly is quite fascinated by me, and uh, she certainly does seem to react positively to my company, and I'm very happy that she's so uh, able to relax and sleep uh, uh, on me. Basically what happens, she's not having any luck sleeping in her crib, uh, and... Um, so basically, she, she falls on me similar to the way a tree would fall on a squirrel uh, in the forest, and the squirrel then lies for an indeterminate amount of time pinned underneath until it chews off an appendage to get loose. That's very similar to having a baby uh, sleep on you, especially if occasionally you are prone to jimmy legs. It's all too exciting for words. And uh, so she just uh, – we put her in her bassinet. We put her in her crib, and uh, from a completely deep sleep, she will wake in a few minutes – uh, uh, upset because she's not being held, uh, not being cuddled, uh, not being sung to or something like that. So uh, it's a little bit of a challenge, but of course, uh, that's, I mean, Christina and I, we're very, a very cuddly couple, so I'm sure that she's gotten that. And of course, you hold nothing back from <laughs> infants. And so what uh, Isabella wants, Isabella gets. And um, But it's interesting because you, you certainly wouldn't want to get involved as a parent, at least through this phase, because you had any hankering for uh, authority. <laughs> this is actually about the least authoritative position I've been in since I was probably about Isabella's age. So <laughs> it's really not about having any control or authority, but uh, being uh, a slave to a tiny and extraordinarily beautiful human being. So uh, it's a wonderful feeling uh, and a wonderful experience, but you wouldn't want to mistake it for <laughs> you know, authority and uh, hunger for love. So it's, uh, it's great. I wanted to mention that uh, we did have uh, an article that came out uh, uh, in the Times. Um, It's uh, uh, this this fellow, Tom Whipple, contacted me, and um, he seemed like a uh, an honorable fellow. So I talked to uh, Tom, and Tom agreed to to talk with uh, Tom Whipple from the Times uh, on the sole condition that the full interview was going to be linked from the article. Uh, then uh, and that was very clear. Uh, that was explicitly <laughs> confirmed three separate times 
uh, before the interview went ahead, that the, the interview was only going to go ahead if the full article was linked in both the print and the online versions. Um, so we did the interview, and Tom was stone genius, brilliant, fantabulous. Uh, I was just happy to, <laughs> to bathe in the brilliance. Uh, he was just great and should be enormously proud, I think, of what he talked about and how he acquitted himself in a difficult and stressful situation. Um, and unfortunately, um, uh, the Times uh, uh, reversed its commitment after getting the interview. A few minutes before the online version went up, I got an email uh, from Mr. Whipple saying that they weren't going to provide a link. There was some legal issues. Of course, he had a month to sort all this stuff out. But uh, uh, anyway, so they backed out of that. If you want to listen to uh, the full interview, um, it's uh, at freedomainradio.com forward slash times. I, I don't particularly want to go into the article itself. I mean, it's... Uh, I, I'm not just... I'm, I don't care about the media stuff anymore. I sort of want to move on to uh, to new things and to, to better, higher, uh, and deeper things that we're talking about here. Uh, but certainly, uh, that to me was my last, uh, <laughs> you know, my last uh, stab at getting reasonable treatment out of uh, uh, the media. Uh, it's not... Um, I mean, it, it didn't happen, and it, it was a, I mean, a, a, what I consider a, a pretty chilling cancellation of a written and uh, verbal contract. Uh, that was the sole basis for the interview. Um, I think it's a shame, but, uh, of course, you can't control uh, people's behavior. So, anyway, that's uh, that's out, that's done, and uh, I think it's uh, important to move on. I would really recommend, and this is true, even if you uh, are in therapy or who have been uh, in in therapy, let me just see. I just want to make sure I get the number right. I had a great conversation with a, a listener who was uh, hesitant uh, about going into therapy. And let me just make sure I get the right number so I don't lead you astray. It's FDR 1249, Fearing Therapy, a listener conversation. Even if you've done therapy, I've been in it for a while. Uh, I would uh, really appreciate it if you would take a listen to that call. Uh, it's got some good stuff about therapy uh, and some good stuff about uh, some of the challenges that uh, some people uh, have um, uh, have in their lives. You know, if you've got uh, challenging uh, uh, history and so on, I think it's well worth uh, uh, having a look at. So I hope that you will um, uh, will check that out. And uh, so... That's it for, I guess, uh, my uh, my introduction. Uh, I hope that everyone had a, a great new year. Uh, I guess we've already had one show since the new year, but I hope that your new year is going uh, very well. And thank you to those who have subscribed, and uh, thank you to, uh, I won't go into your names, but to thank you so much to those who uh, send flowers or, uh, or, or outfits uh, for uh, Isabella. They are hugely, uh, hugely appreciated. And uh, um, thank you so much to, to everyone's kindness. It's, uh, it's really lovely to see her uh, wrapped up in the warmth of listener affection. Uh, and she, of course, is very happy and cozy to be so swaddled. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, to everyone for your generosity. Uh, and uh, I hope that uh, any useful tips that I can hurl out with regards to parenting uh, as the years go on will be, uh, will be helpful as well. So and thank you for those who've, who've said that this... Uh, has created uh, both uh, happiness and sadness in them to hear about the kind of parenting that we're doing. But um, uh, it is, I think, very useful uh, for those of you who don't have kids or do have kids, or even those of you who have adult kids to to hear about some some ways in which parenting could work. So, so that's uh, that's it for the intro. Uh, I'm 
uh, I haven't done the numbers for uh, um, hits for last month. Okay, sorry, that's not quite it. <laughs> I lie once more. It's not quite it for the intro. I haven't done uh, the hits for last month, but of course they will be uh, relatively ginormous um, because of the we get a lot of interest from the media. We have uh, uh, a ni- over 908,000 video views, uh, not last month, but sort of since we've begun, but it's been going quite up quite a bit. And uh, so uh, uh, every time we get uh, the media, we get, you know, four to 5,000 new people hitting the site on a, the, the day that it comes out. And uh, maybe uh, some of those people will stick around and listen to stuff uh, and so on. We'll find out as time goes forward. So uh, that's it. Uh, if we have uh, new people who wish to have uh, questions, comments, issues, criticisms, problems, or whatnot, etc., what have you, uh, now would be the time to speak up. I am all ears. Hey, Steph. Hello. Um, it's Jessen. Oh, hi. Uh, sorry, can you just hold hi. off on that? I just wanted to give the room to, to new people in case we... Because we have some new people in the call who haven't talked yet. If you could just hold off on your thought in case uh, okay. we have some people who have uh, yearning burnings who haven't spoken before. All right, sure. Thanks. Hey, Steph. Hello. Hey, my name's Aaron. I've never called him before. Hey, how you doing? Um, oh, not too bad. How about yourself? I'm fine, thank you. Um, so, uh, I was listening to your uh, your podcast on... Uh, I've actually wanted to talk to you for a while now, but uh, I've been listening to your podcast on uh, drugs. And uh, Sorry, can we kinda... just clarify that statement? You're listening to my podcast on drugs, not listening to my podcast, comma, on drugs, right? I just want to make sure that... Um, I don't like know. You weren't Maybe on both. drugs while you were listening to the podcast. That's sort of what I want to clarify. Um, I don't. Def- what do you define as a drug? Is uh, is marijuana a drug or marijuana is in fact a drug? Okay, well then, yes, I guess I was. Cool. But what is it like I, to listen I, to a, an FDR podcast on marijuana? Um. Well, actually, I've listened to I listened to I've listened to like hundreds of podcasts, and majority of them, I actually am kind of high just because. Yeah, it's just I'm sorry, could I just do, interrupt but... you for a second? It, it sounds like you're taking a small sledgehammer to your sound system. Uh, if you could just hold still while you're talking in case there's loose connections or something, it's kind of loud. Uh, give me a second. Yeah. Uh, what about that? That's great, thank you. Okay, so okay. Uh, I'm just curious, what uh, uh, what is uh, what is it like to listen? Do they, do they make more sense? Or do they actually flow better? Um, well... It's not like it's not like you you get you gain any more knowledge or something when you're high, but like I don't know, it definitely makes your jokes a lot funnier. That's for sure. <laughs> and that's good to know. That's good. I always wondered what inhibited my uh, my success as a comedian, and it turns out that the audience was just sober, and really that's the problem. They had too much judgment. Exactly. Um. So anyway. Um. Sorry, my 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 headset is broken here, and. It kind of jiggles around, so I'm just gonna hold it for now. Yeah, I'm if you could, that would be great because it's uh, it's tough to uh, tough to follow. Okay, so is that is that good? Beautiful. Okay, so what was sorry? What was your uh, what was your question? Okay, so the arguments that you that you brought up in the in the podcast are just kind of contradictory to my my kind of experience of drugs. And you know, you say you have no moral moral objection to them, but then you go on to say that no one should do them. Sure, um, and uh, I would I would disagree with that because you know I would say that there is some positives and 
the the arguments that you put forward, um, I don't think men, most of them are valid. Like you said, uh, you know, you can go, you can get arrested, you can go to jail for years, and you know, why would you, why would you risk that? But like the if you're if you're an intelligent drug user, the risk of going to jail is is really minor. Like you you go into it, you you go into the to your dealer's house, right? You buy you buy the drugs. You go back into your car. You go home. Like there's no there's no real point where you're going to get arrested unless you're you know downtown somewhere going up to random people you don't know or anything. I'm like, sorry, it, you you the, would be driving to and from the the dealer's house, is that right? Oh yeah. Right, so you yeah. could get stopped by the cops. You could have a tail light out. Your sticker could be done. Right, but the, but but a, right? but a police officer can't. But a police officer can't just you know if my tail lights out, he's not going to search my car and like he's he'd have no he'd have no reason to to suspect that I that I had drugs. You know what I mean? Like well, that's I, I don't. True. Know, unless, I, and sorry, that's true. Unless you you're excessively nervous being stopped. Right, but I'm I've 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 had many dealings with with police officers over the years and uh it's it's not like that at all. You you play it cool, you're nice, you're polite, you're respectful and they they you know, you go about your business. Okay. Like that's I don't really right. think I'm perfectly happy to to uh, uh to recognize that uh now that you have an established uh, dealer, right, that you can go and get the drugs and, and get home and, and smoke the drugs or use the drugs. Uh, now, of right. course, getting the dealer can be a little bit risky for people, right? Because somebody ha you have to right. start with drugs, right? So when you start with drugs, uh, you don't know the dealer, and so there's more risk involved in that, right? Once you have a pipeline, so to speak, I can understand that the risk goes down. Okay, well, yeah, it's true, but if you, if you, know, other, if you know other people who use, then you can you kind of like network that way like okay this my friend my buddy does this and he knows a guy and he's he can vouch for him so then you go there and then you know you develop that relationship but yes if you're going to go up to some random person i would not suggest you go down you go you know downtown toronto wherever you are and, and go pick up some drugs because that's going to be uh probably a dangerous situation okay let me just put out two sorry just before we go on and i'm not trying to to disagree with you i'm just putting out two other possibilities um uh, if your drug dealer uh, 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 has been uh, fingered by somebody higher up in the drug chain, because you know the way it works, right? They arrest a drug uh, dealer or they find a drug dealer and then they ask him to reveal who's up the chain, who's down the chain. And so it's entirely possible that when you go to your drug dealer's house that the house is under surveillance, there are videotapes and so on, right? And uh, they may get people uh, that way and they may also then uh, put put a lot of pressure on you to reveal anyone else you know who knows drugs who uses drugs any other dealers that you know uh, and so on right so there's that uh, potential a uh, potential but risk. like I, uh, but that, that's so okay I'll, I'll give you that that there's a potential risk that happens but I think the 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 actual percentage like the, the chance of that actually happening is so so small like like I couldn't even like the guy I go to. I couldn't even imagine how the police would ever even find out about him, or well, how they, they would no, sorry, ever they have would like find, a video. They would find out about him. Sorry, they would find out about him because somebody that he gets drugs from gave him up for a reduced sentence, right? Uh, okay, that could happen. Sorry, just a sec. And, and then I'll let you talk. I just want to get the last the last possibility. And I don't know much about this stuff. Right? This is just stuff that sort of popping into my mind. Uh, the last thing okay. that can occur is that uh, the the drug dealer will give you up in in return for a reduced sentence. Now I consider that less likely because, as far as I understand it, the cops generally try to go up the chain rather than down to the uh, to the end users. 
but uh, uh, but once you're in that orbit, uh, the, the possibilities go up. So I agree that the cop's not going to just grab you because he's walking by and sees you go into someone's house. But there's a lot of surveillance and there's a lot of um, uh, uh, aggressive tactics that are used to try and sniff people out who are in this uh, this sort of area. I mean, there are, as far as I understand it, there are like hundreds of thousands of people, I don't know where you live, and it doesn't matter, don't tell me, right? But uh, hundreds of thousands, if not close to a million, Americans who are in jail for nonviolent crimes, a lot of those are to do with drugs. And I'm sure that a lot of those people are smart and, you know, thought that they were safe and secure, but uh, it did not turn out to be, to be the case, right? So certainly the odds are not, I'm not saying that the odds are very high, but they're also not tiny, because if they were tiny, there'd be almost nobody in jail for drug use, and that's not, uh, that's not the fact of the matter. Okay, well, I, what I would say to that is, first of all, most of the people um, in, in jail, I wouldn't, I don't, I can't, I don't know how many statistics on this, but like, I wouldn't think they're just like little like possession charges. It's, it's going to be like dealers and people who are trafficking that are in prison, right? Sorry, but l let me just be clear about that, though. We don't know. Because it's the government, right? So we don't know if drugs are being planted. We don't know if, uh, if people are just being, they're being told, look, you're going to go to jail for 20 years, but I'll get it down to three years if you give up a bunch of people. And they'll just start naming random people, some guy, to, to take his sentence. But I don't, I don't know. I just, I just might, don't know. might give you up and say that you're a dealer. Right? I mean, it's, it's, we don't know why people are in jail, but we sure know that the cops have to hit their numbers and that the more nonsense they come up with, the better uh, it is for them uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting, getting raises and bonuses or, well, sorry, funding, not necessarily raises. So we don't know why people are in jail, and we certainly, I would not be at all convinced that the majority of people who are uh, in jail for drug crimes uh, that the facts of the matter are even remotely close to the truth. Uh, sorry, that the, the allegations or what they're charged with is even remotely close to the truth. Because I'm I'm sure when you threaten people with ma a mass, threaten some guy with a massive sentence, he's just going to start naming names. Like he's he's got a life to live. He doesn't want to be in jail for 20 years. He'll bargain it down to two by just giving up anyone whose name he knows. Right, and and that could be one of yours. Whether it's true or but, not, but, but even if he but even if he did, does give up my name, I'm not so sure what the police could do to me. Like, what, what am I risking here? Like, if he, he says, oh, okay, Aaron, uh, yeah, this guy, you know, he gives me up, what are they going to do? They're going to come to my house, and they, I don't think, is that grounds for a warrant? I don't know, but, I, I, like, and even if they came into my house, oh, they'd find, maybe they'd find something, maybe they wouldn't. Like, I don't really think that, that would be any real problems for me, even if my dealer did get arrested and he did give me, did give them my name. Like, I don't really think that would affect my life too much. And, and maybe you're right. I mean, again, I don't know how all of this stuff works. I know that there's a lot of creepy stuff that goes on in drug enforcement. Um, but, I mean, maybe you're right. But my question is, why is it worth it? Like, what's missing well, from your life okay, well, that you need this enhancement that makes this even potential risk worthwhile? Okay, but okay, but uh, the potential, I can't, like, I don't like you saying potential risk because when it, it's like when you drive your car down the highway, there's a potential risk that you're going to get into a crash, but you still drive down the highway because that risk is so small, you know what I mean? So I don't really think you can... Well, sorry, can but there's, there's a bit of a difference there because highway driving uh, uh, is usually done when there's no option, right? Uh, I mean, for instance, when I worked uh, at the other end of the city, when I did all these podcasts, there was no way for me to get to my job without driving. 
uh, at all, mm -hmm. right? And and so that I mean, unless I wanted to try and find some local job, which I couldn't, right? I'd either, you know, starve to death, which is a high risk, uh, or I I drove on the highway. So the the, the highway stuff is is uh, is something that is a, is a part of life. It's something that's not really avoidable uh, unless you want to take huge uh, changes to to your lifestyle. But that's okay. Well, then how about, so it's not how about like it's, a, it's not optional in the way that drugs are, right? Okay. Well, how about a plane? Like the risk you're, you're going on a plane. You don't have to go on a plane. You can drive somewhere, right? But like, I'm, well, my whole point to sorry, to saying actually, that is sorry. Just statistically, though, you're much safer in a plane than in a car, right? I'd rather fly than take a car. Okay. Well, it just my whole point here is just that for me, I think that the risk. Of me having any kind of legal record, it, it, it's so small that I don't even really see it as a risk. Because as long as long like I, 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 as long as you're intelligent about it, as long as you're mindful, you're aware of what's going on around you, and you you know you know how to deal with the police stuff like that. I don't think that you are going to have any problems. And yes, there are lots of people in jail and stuff, and they're probably intelligent people, but they're just probably I guess not being mindful of their surroundings or they're in a bad situation or they you know they they took risks that they shouldn't have and and i again i want to move on with this but i just want to reinforce uh, to, to your next point not to another call but i just want to reinforce that you're assuming that you're in control of the variables like if you act intelligently enough you're not going to run into problems with the police with regards to drugs but mm -hmm. the problem is that you're actually you are not in control of the variables because there's lots of stuff that's occurring in your society or in your environment assuming you're not currently in a cafe in amsterdam there's a lot of things that are occurring in your society and in your environment with law enforcement that is beyond your control, right? Whether they nab someone and that person then just names whoever they can name, including their babysitter from 10th, you know, fifth grade or something, you're not mm -hmm. in control of the variables. And I think the illusion that you're in control of these variables uh, may not, I mean, I don't think it's accurate, which is not to say that you have no influence over it, but you certainly don't have total influence over it. Oh, I obviously don't have total influence over it, but I'm just saying that you can take steps to reduce the risk so that they're the risk is so low that you know you're, it's it's very very unlikely that you're ever going to have any any run-ins with the law. All right, that, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, okay, okay. and, so and you I'll know more about it than I do. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but sorry, go ahead. Okay, can I go on to your your next argument here? Uh, sure. Uh, okay, so then the next point that you make is you say that uh, you have no control over the uh, the quality of the the substance that you put into your body. Um, and what I would say to that is, um, well, that's true that you don't have any control over it, but um, if a dealer is going to... Well, I've been, I, I've been uh, a drug user for probably about four years, and first of all, I've never had any, any sort of any bad batch or bad drugs or, or anything like that. But if, uh, if a dealer was to, to sell uh, you know, poisonous drugs or, or dangerous drugs to people... Um, oh, are you still there? I sure am. Okay. Um, if they were to do that, uh, uh, people would hear about it, they would know about it, and it wouldn't be profitable for them at all. Because as soon as someone here, if, if someone's selling bad stuff to someone and, and, and they die or they go in the hospital, no one's going to go and buy it. No one's going to go and buy anything from them because they'll be like, okay, well, this guy's got some bad shit, so I'm not going to him. You know what I mean? So it just doesn't make sense for, for a dealer to, to put out a bad product because it's not profitable for them. So that's what I would, would, would say to that argument. Uh, and let What's me just your, respond uh, to that briefly before 
uh, before you continue, um, okay. I, I fully agree with you that a dealer is a drug dealer is going to face catastrophic negative repercussions uh, if uh, if he passes on some some bad drugs and somebody either doesn't get high or gets sick or dies or whatever. For sure, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there are two impediments to that which which raise the level of risk. The first is that word of mouth is not hugely effective in this kinds of situation because there's no advertising, there's no objective and market-based quality control. Um, uh, word of mouth is limited in term, because you don't know the other drug users of this dealer, or at least assume you don't know very many of them, if at all. So if one of them gets sick, you may never find out that that sort of Unless you're really immersed in the culture, that word of mouth doesn't work very well. In I am pretty immersed, and I, I, know, I know most of them, but anyway, continue. Oh, you do most. Okay, okay, that's fine. But then um, uh, other people may not, right? I mean, your situation right, right. is not obviously the same as, as everyone's, it, right? Exactly, yeah. But um, so uh, I fully accept that the uh, quality is a requirement for anybody who, who, who puts anything out, particularly ingestible stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the other problem, though, that occurs is that your drug dealer, with the best of intentions, unless he, you know, samples everything that he, uh, he, uh, he hands out, which means, of course, that you may need to get another drug dealer relatively quickly, uh, he, he doesn't have the kind of objective quality controls that would occur in a legal free market, right, where you've mm-hmm. got independent verifications, you've got labs testing for purity, you've got, you know, independent groups that will constantly uh, uh, monitor the quality of what is being produced, you don't have that. So even though your drug dealer may say, well, of course, I don't want to pass out anything that's bad, uh, it, uh, he doesn't have the, the, uh, the capacity that would occur in a legal free market to have independent testing and verification quality seals. You know, there aren't even those safety seals on drugs that you get and, you know, with aspirins and stuff right. like that. So he may just end up getting something and passing it along with no knowledge of his own, regardless of his own intentions, if that makes sense. Right. Well, obviously, if these were all legal, then we we would have that, right? Like, if sure. That's why they should be. Legal. Sure, but that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Um, okay. Sorry. Can you uh can you can you repeat what you just the last thing that you said? Well, yeah. I mean, I, in a free market, the drugs would be safer, of course, right? Which is why they should be legalized. Right. But, but, but that's not where we are, right? So that's just what I wanted to mention. Okay. Um. All right, we can move on to the next one. I don't think I'm gonna. I have anything else to say. Um. Okay. Uh. Then the next point you make is uh that uh it's like some sort of like hard like pursuit or something to to get a hold of of, of the drugs and that um there's no like eye drug or whatever that'll that'll send it right to your door. Um. And that's that's actually not the like. There is websites that'll send it right to your door or to a, a PO box or you know, it's actually really if you if you know people that do drugs, it's really not hard at all to get them. Like I go over to a guy's house, I go in there, talk the weather, talk sports, you know, for like ten minutes, chat, pick up what I need, and then and then leave. Like it's not really. It takes maybe fifteen minutes. It's not like this hard, horrible, you know, kind of drive, right? Yeah. Sorry, a drive like a. Yeah, you got to drive to get there, I assume, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's not that's not that's not like a negative, right? Like you have to drive to go to the movies. Like that's not a. It, it, I just don't understand how you you 
you put that point as like uh, a negative of drugs. Well, sorry, it is a negative, right? And it is a negative that we have to drive to go to the movies, right? It's just a negative that's outweighed by the positive. That's all. I'm not saying it's a net negative. Otherwise, nobody would drive to get drugs. But it is a negative in that people don't say – you don't say to somebody, what's your hobby? And he says, driving around the neighborhood, or at least very few people do, right? Because it, mm-hmm. we, we drive in order – it's a means to an end. It's not a positive end in and of itself. Okay. Well, if you really didn't want to drive, you could just go on the website. Like I said, like I know there's uh, a website right in my town here that uh, will ship – all over the world and they'll send it to a P.O. box or, or right to your door. Sure, but then what you do is you lose that personal relationship that you talked about earlier which which is one of the ways in which you would be more sure of the, the quality or the uh, security. Uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Now, uh, sorry, unless you had something I'm not saying I've clinched anything here, right? I'm, this is not a, a black or white uh, situation, but um, uh, I just wanted to mention earlier, you said, well, I think it should be legalized and I think that no one should do it. Well, that to me is not an incompatible position. Like, for instance, to take an extreme example, um, uh, uh, self-mutilation should be legal, but people should not do it, right? You know, where people sort of cut up their arms or whatever because they're sad or upset or for whatever reason. Uh, so uh, to me, saying that something should be perfectly legal and people shouldn't do it uh, is not a contradictory position. I just sort of wanted to... Uh, suicide, of course, should be legal, but people should not kill themselves, at least in my, unless they're, you know, whatever, real special circumstances like some horrible brain-wasting illness or something, whatever, right? But, um, but I guess sorry, my position is, though, uh, when you say that they should be legal and no one should do them, I'm, what I'm disagreeing with is that no one should do them, right? Like, I don't Well, tell me, I tell me what, it, I mean, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but tell me what, uh, you know, give me the, because I've never done drugs, right? So, so I don't know what what the big whoop is i don't know what what the benefit is i can't um uh, i can't imagine uh, uh, in a sense being happier so um although i'm sure that if i took heroin that would be you know that would make me happier for for a while but um i can't imagine because the anxiety of going to procure it and injecting it or, or doing whatever i was uh, to get it into my system the anxiety over possible addiction all of that kind of nasty stuff uh, that to me would be would outweigh whatever plus benefits I would get from, uh, from whatever the high would be. But tell me what, uh, uh, what, what needs, what needs, what does it add to your life? What's missing from your life that drugs add in terms of happiness? And, and is there no other way that you feel you could attain that without all of these attendant risks? Not to mention the, the costs, which can be considerable. Okay, but I see, I don't think those risks are risk. And I don't think that the, and again, the cost, it, it's not, it can, Compared to other forms of entertainment, I don't think it's that costly either. Um, but any, um, back to your 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 first uh, point there. Um, it just, I, I I like when you were talking about your video. I completely agree that uh, like a drug, if you're completely unhappy and you're using drugs uh, to make you really 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 happy, that's obviously, and you're just addicted to them and you keep doing them, and you you just kind of of trying to escape from reality, you know, that's not, that's not a good thing, um, but, uh, like, I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, a pretty happy person, um, but that the drugs can make me, you know, happier, a little bit happier, you know what I mean, um, but I'm not saying that, you know, then, well, well, why are you unhappy, you should, that you shouldn't, you know, you say that uh, drugs uh, mask the body's pain signals, and but I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, 
try and, and deal with the issues in your life that are that are causing you pain and unhappiness, but I'm but you, that you can use drugs in addition to like self improvement. Like when you say you go to a dentist and you you get a Novocaine or whatever for for a toothache, and then you get the dentist to to fix the tooth. Well, why can't you? Why couldn't you use you know drugs to? You uh, know, sorry, that, that analogy pain. doesn't work, and I certainly do appreciate it. But that analogy does not work because Novocaine doesn't make you happier. What Novocaine does is it prevents you from feeling pain, right? That's different from saying it makes you happier. If you understand, right? All you're doing when you go, go to get Novocaine for a, uh, a tooth drilling or whatever is that you're saying, I don't want to feel too much discomfort. You're still going to feel discomfort, but it's not going to be as bad. Whereas drugs, as far as I understand it, if they're being used to, to deal with emotional pain, that's obviously bad, right? I mean, that's not a, a healthy or positive way of dealing with emotional pain. But that's not the same as using Novocaine to minimize discomfort as opposed to using drugs to increase happiness. So I, I don't think that particular one works. Um, well, and if, let me let if, me ask you let me ask you a practical question or two then if you don't mind, um, uh, how much uh, how much time a week would you say that you spend um, you know driving to get drugs you say fifteen minutes at the dealer's place driving back you know unpacking them smoking them and so on uh, and the time that you spend uh, um, both smoking them and, and with the resulting high uh, how much time per week do you think that uh, 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 that uh... okay go for it sorry about that. Um, okay, so I probably go to uh, to my dealer's house once a week, maybe once every two weeks, um, and uh, that's you know about fifteen minute drive there, fifteen minute drive back, so that's half an hour. Um, and then it de- it would depends on uh, you know the week, but I'm probably down to about uh, maybe three to four times a week uh, using drugs. And um, is, it most, was, is it mostly marijuana or exclusively marijuana? Or um, it's different things. It's mostly when I say four to five or like four times a week, um, that would definitely be marijuana. But I have uh, used uh, lots of lots of other drugs as well. And uh, how long does the uh, does the high last for you uh, with a particular marijuana use? Um. Like that's such a. If I'm, like a lot, a high would last. If you're smoking, a high would last like maybe an hour, maybe two hours. Um, but then if you keep smoking, you can you can go it on, you can have it on longer. And like some days, maybe I will smoke a bit more, and then it would go on for three or four hours. And or sometimes I would just smoke, you know, a little bit, and then it would be like you know maybe an hour or two. Okay, uh, and so um, let, let's just focus on the marijuana stuff. So let's say that you do an hour, it's an hour and a half per, per use, right? And you've got four times a week, so that's uh, six hours a week that you would spend high, uh, plus, uh, I guess, uh, half an hour, 45 minutes to, to get the drugs and so on, right? So let's just say that your drug, uh, uh, um, your drug habit or your drug use is uh, seven, hours, uh, seven hours a week. Is that uh, unreasonable or is that too low or too high? Um, yeah, I'd say five to seven hours a week, maybe. But that's, that's, that's significantly, like, it used to be uh, a lot, a lot, a lot more than that. It's come down significantly in the past, Okay, but, you know, I mean, that's like so. a work day, right? So you're spending a work day uh, either pursuing the influence or being under the influence, which, of course, limits the other things 
that you can do, right? Mm, I wouldn't say limits. Um, yes, it does. Really? I, I hope it limits because I hope you're not driving and stuff when you're doing this, right? Oh, uh, no, no. Yes, for sure I am. It, marijuana does not impair your, your abilities to drive. If you actually look at scientific studies, you'll find that most of them are actually say that you are more focused and a better driver under the influence of marijuana. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't believe that at all. Ah, uh, really? I really, I I, like, I'm, not even, I'm not even within at 10 light years of believing that. I'm sorry to say it so bluntly, but the idea that a mind-altering substance has no negative effect, but in fact a positive effect on uh, uh, marijuana, uh, sorry, on driving, uh, is just to me uh, not... Uh, well, it makes you more focused, right? So when you're, when you're sorry, more and Are you saying and that people have done scientific studies of drug use and driving? Okay, well, what I've, what, the studies that I've seen are, uh, it was a British study, and what they did is they had a whole bunch, I don't know how scientific this is, but they had a whole bunch of people, and they would test them, their driving abilities on, like, different driving courses, like, through pylons and stuff like that, when they're not under the influence of marijuana, and then they would test them while they're under the influence of marijuana, and they actually, it was actually showed that the people, the majority of the people actually did better while they were under the influence of marijuana. Okay, I just uh, did uh, a quick search here, and again, I can't vouch for the site, but uh, this is a place called Alcohol Problems and Solutions. It's got a little article here called Drug Use, Marijuana, and Driving Impairment. It says, using marijuana, cannabis, or pot can lead to dangerously impaired driving according to a three-year study at Swinburne University of Technology in Australia. Research leader Dr. Catherine Pat, uh, sorry, Papafutu of the University's Brain Science Institute said those who smoked marijuana were more likely to lane weave, stop too close to vehicles ahead of them, make, and make other uh, driving errors. Most people are aware of the dangers of alcohol-impaired driving, but not of the dangers of smoking marijuana before operating a motor vehicle, according to this researcher. And again, this is just one, uh, I'm not saying either of us is right, but uh, this was the very first thing uh, out of a list of thousands that I found, uh, which, you know, you might... Uh, th there's a, well, something just, here which says is from the website uh, Medical Marijuana, mm -hmm. uh, and so. Um, well, I know that you know from four years of marijuana use, and you know me and all my friends who use marijuana and drive, uh, never been in an accident, never crashed. Never yeah, that's not science, right? The fact that you—that's okay, uh, that's no, like no, saying, that's well, just I, my you know, that's like that's saying I smoke uh, cigarettes and my friends smoke cigarettes. And none of us have lung cancer yet, and therefore there's no relationship. That's not, you know, anecdotes is not a science, right? But don't you think if it wasn't, don't you think if it was, uh, you know, an impairing thing that, you know, it would have some negative uh, consequences in my driving? Like, well, the fact that again, you, I'm I mean, just going from my drunk drive and don't get into accidents, that doesn't mean that drunk driving is not dangerous, right? Oh, well, alcohol is a completely different uh, thing. I would not, I would never drive drunk. Okay, Stephen J. Heishman, Ph.D. research psychologist at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, presented the following at the 95 National Conference on Marijuana Use. Driving and marijuana do not mix. That's the bottom line. The data from these laboratory studies show that marijuana impairs balance and coordination, functional components important to driving in a close, in a dose-related way. These effects may be related to reported marijuana-induced impairment of automobile uh, driving. And again, look, I'm not, I don't know, right, uh, all of these, right. Uh, the facts are behind it, right, but... Um, I, 
I, I would employ you not to do it, like not even to think about doing it and just not to do it. Of course, if you get, you say you're, you're all about managing risk, right? If you get into a, into a vehicular accident, and even if uh-huh. you are not at fault, and you're tested, and you're found drug positive, you're screwed. You understand that? Well, if someone hits I'm, I'm, you in the car, you're sitting there at a red light, and someone hits you in the car, and you're found to be impaired and driving, mm-hmm. you're in shit, right? Well, the only way they can even find out that you're impaired is if they did a blood test, and they wouldn't really be able to do that roadside, so I, I, I don't think that would ever happen. Um, but uh, like they don't actually in. Okay, let, let me let me like just let me just any... uh, let me just stop for a second here. I, I'm going to just ask you a question or two. I don't want to take up the whole call with this because I think my opinions are are pretty clear. Uh, but um, uh, you're you're a young fellow, right? Right. And if I remember rightly from the board post that you made, uh, you grew up with some significant trauma in your childhood, right? Uh, yeah. Now, would you say that you have uh, done a lot of work? Uh, to you know, go through therapy to to do all of that kind of self examination in order to deal with the terrible, sad, and unfortunate effects that arise from the kind of childhood traumas that you uh, experienced. Um, if you ask me that, maybe like a year ago, I would say no. But I would say in the last year, I I have been trying to, for sure. What does trying to mean? Um. Well, just trying to, you know, uh, like introspection, just trying to figure out, you know, why I have the why I think the way I do, like why I have if I if I am unhappy about something, why I'm unhappy and then try and and fix it and change it, which I think is fantastic. But you haven't uh, you haven't done any uh, therapy with an accredited therapist or anything like that. I know I sound like a broken record all the time. but I just wanted to sort of. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not really. I, I. I definitely. I'm definitely completely open to it. I want. I. I would love to. To go into some therapy. I just don't. I'm not. I don't really have the money for that right now. But you have the money, um, for drugs, right? That's the obvious response, right? Oh, but uh, I'm therapy is actually. I was looking into it, and it's a. It, it's a lot more expensive than the money I spend on my uh, my drugs in a week. Well, but not necessarily because you can get therapists who will give you sliding scale and, and so on. And even if you can only do uh, two hours of therapy a month, that's a lot better than obviously doing well, how much, how much, like how, how much would uh, How much would that cost, like two hours of, of therapy a month? Two hours of therapy a month if you negotiate and if you find the right therapist. And, of course, depending on where you live. You could probably get mm-hmm. that for between fifty and seventy-five bucks. Okay. And I know you're spending more than that a month on drugs. I guarantee you. Oh, I'm probably spending eighty. Yeah, more than that. Well, if it's, I'd definitely be if I can. I, the the ones that I were looking at were were not were like in the in the hundreds. So maybe I, I was looking in the wrong place or something. But yeah, I definitely. Well, no, but you you I mean, if you're broke, right? Uh, and you're a young young fellow, right? And youth equals broke for the most part. At least that's certainly my memory of it. Then uh, you can uh, uh, you can definitely uh, get them to. I mean, Christina does it, right? For people who are um, who are really broke, she'll give them a sliding scale, right? Because you know she wants to, sorry, to uh, help. Can you, you uh, can you define can you define sliding scale? I'm sorry. Can you define sliding scale? I'm not sure what that. Oh, means. I'm so sorry. It, it just means that relative to your income, you can get better. Um, you can get better prices or cheaper prices. Okay. Okay. 
And the other thing I wanted to mention, too, is you said that you've been, you're doing a lot less drugs now than you used to, which, of course, I think is fantastic, right? I don't want to come across like, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the director of, uh, you know, some anti-marathon uh, a reefer madness or something, right? I mean, I hope that I'm not sounding horribly square, though I probably am. But, um, but you say that you are uh, doing less or fewer drugs now than you did in the past, right? Right. Uh, and you also say that over the last year, you've worked to really try to help to uh, understand your your own thoughts and your own feelings. And again, I, I say this with immense amounts of, um, uh, of of sympathy for what you suffered at the hands of, of your of your mother. But you're doing fewer right. drugs now than you used to. And at the same time, you're also working on trying to understand yourself and have more empathy for yourself and so on, right? Right. So that pattern is that you're becoming happier and you're doing less drugs, right? Right. So but I, I, I don't, uh, take the money from the drugs, put it into therapy, and then get all of the benefits of being high and happy without the risk, without the health risks, without the problems, without the potential arrests, without the potential records. Uh, and without the uh, see, I mean, therapy is an just, investment. I, you put it in, and then you don't have to keep paying for it. Whereas, of course, if you are using drugs to manage anxiety or uh, pain that comes from your childhood, then it's a never-ending proposition, right? In fact, it will only get worse over time because you're masking the pain rather than dealing with it. Whereas, if you take your money from drugs and put it into therapy, you will find yourself able to achieve far greater happiness even than you can with drugs, and you won't need to stay in therapy, whereas if the drugs are being used to patch yourself up or to self-medicate, so to speak, it will be a never mm -hmm. and possibly re-escalating situation, if that makes any sense. Well, I guess I don't, I, I guess I don't see why it couldn't be both. Like, I don't understand, like, I, like, why couldn't you be using good drugs and go into therapy, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like a, a thing that helps you along. Like, if you, if you have, if you're, if you want to be happier, you have uh, a certain amount of unhappiness, you take the drugs, they make oh, you happier. Oh, sorry, and, and you just make you happier, probably not aware of this, but, but there, there's actually a pretty objective answer to that, which is it doesn't okay. work. There's, there's no possibility of getting substantial benefits out of therapy while you self-medicate at all. And, and there's no therapist who's got any kind of reasonable credentials who will ever take an active drug user into therapy. The, 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 you will be, uh, if you talk about drug use, uh, your therapist, uh, if uh, he or she is worth any salt, will say, mm -hmm. I simply cannot do therapy with you if you are still using drugs. Right. So, so and, and there's lots of reasons for that, which we don't really have to get into. You can research them or you can ask your therapist about it. But drug use and uh, therapy never, ever go hand in hand. And this is true even of alcohol abuse. Right. A, a, a guy who is uh, an alcoholic, I'm not putting you in this category, but just, you know, to, to give you the, the lay of the land. A guy who's an alcoholic who goes into therapy simply cannot drink while he's in therapy. If he drinks while he's in therapy, his therapist will kick him to the curb in about 10 seconds. You, it just, they simply cannot work together. There's tons of reasons, tons of studies. It simply doesn't work at all. Uh, so um, the, as to why, you can look all of that up or you can ask a therapist or you can read it up or whatever you like. But that is a very, very well-established principle of therapy. Okay. Sorry to be annoyingly. I mean, I don't mind being gray about all the other stuff, but that's pretty much a black and white one. Um, yeah, okay, I obviously, I don't really know anything about, uh... Right. there's no reason know, why you would, you know, I, I respect your position, I, I'm not saying there's any reason why you would, but I just wanted to point out what the facts of that one are. Okay. Um. Alright, 
I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I want to say here. Well, I, I'd like to, you, you can mull it over. I, I mean, I, I obviously, you know what I think, but I'm going to say it anyway, just for my, my own annoying, you know, sort of okay. peace of mind. Uh, oh. I, I think that you had a, uh, from what you posted about, I think you had a depressingly wretched childhood. And, you know, I hope that you understand that I have nothing but massive, enormous, deep, sympathy and empathy for all of that. I know that I've been annoying guy about drugs on this call and I hope that you won't hold that too much against me. But, uh, you know, what you posted about going through as a kid, massive sympathy. Uh, it really was nasty what you went through. Um, mm -hmm. I want to see you uh, happy. You may disagree with, with the way I'm going about it. And I apologize for any of that. I do want to see you. Mm -hmm. I do want to see you get the kind of love and joy and, uh, and passion in your life that really does help keep us uh, happy and excited and thrilled to be alive. Um, I'm telling you, I'm telling you in a most annoying way, and with all due apologies and sensitivity, it's not going to come from drugs, uh, and it's going to come from uh, self-knowledge, and, and in particular because of the history that you went through, uh, through, through therapy. You have the money for drugs. You have the money for therapy, uh, even if you have to cut back. Uh, and there's lots of work you can do in conjunction with a therapist. As you say, you've got this journaling and stuff going on, which is great. Uh, and you should keep up with that. Journaling in the absence mm -hmm. of a therapist is much, much less effective, right? Because you grew up with pretty negative and horrible authority figures. And so for you to put yourself in the hands of an authority figure is going to be really tough. But that's the only way you will end up with authority over your own life, right? You need to be around a beneficial and positive authority figure so that you can end up integrating and internalizing that authority and that direction into your own life. And uh, I'm sure that you absolutely knew I was going to say all of this moralistic, annoying, <laughs> you know, guy oh, yeah, I... stuff. You knew that, right? That's probably <laughs> yeah, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I would absolutely take the money from therapy. Uh, sorry, take the money from drugs and, and pour it into therapy. Uh, it will serve you just incredibly in, in the long run. And that would be that. That's my that's my little speech. So I apologize again for being old, folky, annoying, bald guy. But uh, <laughs> I just wanted to, to, to sort of point that out. All right. Yep. Um, well, uh, thanks a lot for the uh, for the conversation. Thank you. Uh, you um, make some great points, by the way. This is what's anno annoying too is that you've obviously got a ferocious intellect, and you're obviously a very, very intelligent young man. I swear to God, you people are going to completely put us to shame. I was thinking about this when Tom was talking to the reporter. Uh, this next right. generation, you guys are like stone freaking geniuses, and I'm just honored to be, you know, even <laughs> somewhere in the light of intellects with your life. But if you stay hiding in the drug world, uh, it's really not going to to work out that way. So that's, you know, my massive compliment to you as well. If that makes any sense, that uh, you are uh, a very, very intelligent young man, and obviously have a huge amount of uh, willpower and resourcefulness to get through what you got through. And uh, you know, don't uh, don't hide that from the world in a haze of dissociative drug use, uh, because I think you have way too much to offer. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I just want to say, you know, I, I really, really respect all the, the work that you're doing here, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Will you, will you keep us posted uh, about uh, what you're deciding? Uh, yeah, I will, for sure. Thanks, man. And uh, all the best. I really appreciate the call. All right. Take it easy. All righty. Uh... Next. <laughs> Hi, Steph. It's Crystal. Hello. Hello. Um, so I had a question um, about phobias. Um, 
because I... I'm sorry I'm to interrupt sorry. you, but I'm, I'm sorry, just, just when you get started, I'm just getting quite a buzz. Uh, could you just check the connection of your, of your mic? Yeah, I think this, this mic is not good. No, it's no problem. If, if it can't be fixed, that's fine. We'll keep going, but I just wanted I to check. I don't think that it can. Okay, uh, phobia me away. Pour, pour a bunch of spiders into my brain. I'm all ears. All right. Well, um, I, I started therapy uh, last week, and, um, uh, well, this guy's not going to work out, but, um, but along with that, I want to go in and get a you know, full uh, medical examination, have blood work done and all that. But um, I, am, um, I have a, a, a terrible fear of needles, and um, it, it's really, uh, I mean, just thinking about them, and uh, I've, I've had to actually lay down and uh, breathe um, just from people talking about um, things like that, and so it's, it's pretty intense for me. And um, so I was wondering if you had any um, information on uh, on phobias. Now, do you want facts or theories? Like, do you want actually useful stuff or just my rambling nonsense or both? Uh, it's really, it's really your choice. <laughs> um, uh, both would be great. Oh, God bless you! I'm going to send you a donation. Um, okay, um, if you could just turn off your microsec, just because I'm getting a bit of an echo. Um, no problem. The, the, okay, the, the first thing, which is complete nonsense, which I'll keep very brief because it's all just idiot theories on my part. So, you know, take take uh, take this all with as much salt as you can muster uh, and find it. If you find it useful, uh, you find it not useful. That's great. Uh, I also had a, a fear of needles when I was younger. We used to um, it seemed like uh, in the 70s they would actually um, uh, they would inoculate children by uh, strapping them to a brick wall and using one of those harpoons that uh, you see on whaling ships. Uh, it seemed like it was touch and go uh, as to whether you'd survive. But um, uh, I remember having quite quite a fear of of needles, and my uh, fear began to diminish uh, uh, over time. Uh, when I and, and this may sound unrelated, maybe it's total nonsense, maybe it's just my experience and so on, but uh, to me. Uh, Needles were at their most terrifying when I was when I had the experience in and this was in particular in my family though it also occurred in education of of having my boundaries uh, violated right so my boundaries were violated uh, through uh, through physical force and through like through violence uh, through beatings and and so on and also through verbal abuse right and and through a crazy kind of intensity which would be very invasive towards my consciousness. So uh, in hindsight, this is the way that I appreciated or understood this phenomenon, which again might, might only be personal to me. Where there are significant boundary violations, uh, people have a great deal of phobias with things like uh, uh, needles and, and dental drillings and so on. Because to, to, the way it worked in my unconscious was that, at least I think, was that the needles and, and these other kinds of invasive things um, – <laughs> were um, were boundary violations of my body, which which resonated or had uh, a metaphorical link to the violations of my body and personhood that occurred through uh, significant and extended child abuse, both in the educational system and and at home. So that invasiveness, that lack of boundaries, and so on, is uh, uh, was for me very much tied up with um, a fear of, of needles. And uh, when I had to go and have my uh, butt checked, uh, that was a whole other level of excitement as far as that went, right? It felt very invasive and it awoke a lot of uh, defenses for me that occurred um, when I was a child and facing that level of, of physical invasion. So that's 
a possibility that I'm just going to toss out there with no uh, backup and no facts <laughs> whatsoever, but that's the way it sort of worked for me. So that's the one level which it may be worth looking into or looking at. The second thing is that uh, phobias in particular are, are very responsive to psychological treatment, a very responsive to psychological treatment. In fact, it can take no more than 10 to 20 seconds to overcome, sorry, <laughs> 10 to 20 sessions. Seconds, we would already be done, uh, but uh, 20, 10 to 20 sessions to overcome uh, phobias if you get somebody who's trained and experienced in dealing with these kinds of phobias. And not to the point where you can grit your teeth and get through it, but to the point where it actively does not become that same kind of ferocious discomfort that you would probably feel right now in the realm of uh, of getting this kind of stuff done. So um, does that uh, so so you know if you can get a therapist, I mean, just say, look, I've got a needle phobia, and needle phobias are um, uh, are common, of course, as far as phobias go, right? And uh, so you say, well, I've got a needle phobia. How is it that you would deal with it? What's your you know estimated uh, time frame for for helping me with this and so on? But of, of all of the things that go on in our psyche, uh, phobias. Uh, and those kinds of uh, avoidance mechanisms are actually the most treatable when you're in the right uh, with, when you're with the right person. So I would strongly recommend, uh, you know, getting to somebody who's trained and experienced in that, putting yourself through the program. It's just it's continual exposure, escalating exposure, and so on. I, I didn't go through it because I, <laughs> you know, I went deep. But if you want to get this this done more quickly, then that would be my suggestion. And that's that's it for my. Uh, you know, half nonsense, half bit of fact uh, response. Does that does that help at all? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, that was uh, that was something that um, that I was talking with uh, 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 to somebody else about, and that's kind of what came up. And that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, my dad was definitely um, um, physically abusive, and and also, I mean, not even just uh, you know for punishment, but he would he would tickle us like terribly for and we'd be begging him to stop and you know and and so that 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 was another kind of way that he that he uh you know uh, crossed our boundaries and 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 that's that's very invasive, right? I mean, and that's one of the tragic Absolutely. things. It occurs in families, yeah. right? People will upset you or whatever and then say, oh, it's a joke, right? And they don't seem to get that it's not really a joke if only one person is laughing, right? In fact, it's probably quite the opposite. So I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about that, but uh, that may be another reason that, that – and tickling in particular is one of these. It's very invasive because it completely takes over your physicality, um, which is not to say that it can't be fun, but, you know, there's that line where where it becomes uh, about really control and, in a sense, humiliation, at least in, in my experience. So I'm very sorry to hear about that. It may have something to do with this needle phobia, but, again, there's things that you can do that are very specific to, to, to deal with that and then in the longer-term therapy to deal with the boundary violations and restoring those healthy boundaries. And then I think that one, too, will probably eliminate that as a factor from from your life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank, thanks so much. And and if you do, uh, I would really appreciate it if if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you do end up going through a specific phobia reduction program, uh, if you could post your thoughts and experience about it uh, on on the board. Um, I mean, it's it's a common thing that that people face. Yeah, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. I will Thank do you that. So Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. That was chillingly fast. Even with me talking about myself, that was chillingly fast. All right. I take the gorgeous and talented Isabella, and we shall see. Oh, she has the hiccups. Hic. 
fortunately, she's not at all bothered by the hiccups. They drive me a little bit mental, although I don't get them more than once a year. But <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear that. It's, it sounds like a ping pong. <laughs> I'm sorry, daddy moment. Uh, please, uh, <laughs> please go ahead if you have any other uh, questions or comments. Actually, I have a question. Please. Um, what would be the distinguishing factors between, let's say, just a common fear and a phobia, in your opinion? Oh, that's, a, that's a good question. The difference between a common fear and a phobia, as far as I understand it, uh, it, it the, a phobia is something that is overwhelming. A phobia is something that you can't talk yourself through. You can't reason yourself out of. It, it, it's like a panic attack. Um, uh, and normally, you know, we... Uh, you know, if I'm walking through the woods doing a podcast late at night and I hear a bunch of branches crackling or something, right, I'll, I'll feel nervous and then I'll say, okay, well, it's squirrels or whatever, right? Um, and so I can sort of reason myself in or out of a particular a fear or a thought. Uh, or when I was younger, I went uh, skydiving and uh, I was not, of course, uh, entirely thrilled <laughs> to be jumping out of a plane, although I was quite excited to do so. Um, but I was able to, so I felt a, a strong fear, but I was able to uh, talk myself into it by saying that uh, I, I'd already paid my money and there were no refunds. So uh, basically my cheapness ward with my, <laughs> with my fear. <laughs> um, so, so those fears which we can, which, you know, which we can manage, which we can deal with, which we can talk ourselves um, into putting in perspective, those would be fears. But a phobia is something which uh, uh, overwhelms consciousness and cannot be negotiated with that's sort of my understanding does that does that make any sense uh yes it does actually the reason why i asked the question was um last night i, I was in the conversation on phobias in the chat room and something i was thinking about is that i have a fear of trains but it's predominant in my dreams if that makes a any fear sense. of trains that's fascinating how interesting well i can't even think of anything that would have um, set that in my mind, but I can remember um, elementary school. I would have dreams where I was just running, you know, from miles and miles of track, and um, there would be a train coming at just pretty much any given time. And this was a recurrent dream. Um, and I want to say it's it probably I probably stopped having the dreams maybe about a year ago. Right. But it's something that's followed me my whole life. But then in real life, I can ride on a train but I don't want to be near the tracks. How interesting. Uh, how interesting. Now, I mean, I, I'm obviously, I, I love to dig into this kind of stuff, but it doesn't sound like it's a particular issue for you at the moment because, as you say, the, the phobia has sort of diminished. Though, of course, you know, it would be fascinating, but I don't want to waste time solving a problem that is not right. a problem. But uh, uh, certainly um, uh, those kinds uh, of associations uh, can, be, can be important. I mean, uh, when I was uh, in my early teens, I became quite fascinated by sharks and uh, read every book and, and so on. I was going to apply to go and work in Sarasota, Florida uh, as a teenager. I actually did apply, but couldn't get the work permit uh, to work at the sort of Shark Institute. And I became just fascinated by sharks. And uh, in hindsight, of course, uh, um, uh, aggression that strikes from under the water with water being a metaphor for um, uh, 
uh, for the unconscious uh, and because there was both conscious and unconscious violence within my house. So like it sort of made sense. And once I began to understand all of that, the what, what to me was that particular focus of interest uh, began to uh, to diminish. And so when I look at particular things that I've become sort of that become ide fixes within my own mind, uh, there are usually very good psychological reasons uh, for it. And there may be, you know, a, a train uh, and tracks uh, uh, has to do with a feeling of choice, right? When you're on tracks, a train doesn't have a choice really about where it goes, right? It just has to go on the track. So maybe there was something around you not feeling like there was a lot of choice uh, uh, and Im- impossible situations. Like if you're on the track, you can't get on the tr- off the track, but the train is coming. That's an impossible situation. Again, I'm just <laughs> I'm just speaking nonsense, but those kinds of things might have something to do with why it became uh, any day fix for you. All righty. Well, yeah, it's not really an issue. It was just something I was curious about because um, I had a few other people say, well, that is kind of interesting, although I can't tie it back to anything. Um, I'm definitely planning on looking into it. So uh, thank you. Yeah. And if you do, uh, if you do figure it out, uh, I hope that you'll uh, let us know that it's a very, very interesting one. Uh, so uh, absolutely. All right. Thanks. All right. All right. Uh, if we don't have any other questions, I would be happy if uh, you wanted to pop back in the Divine Miss J. Oh, hello. Hello. Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about um, a strange emotional experience I had the other day. Uh-huh. If there's any time. Absolutely. Um, I just... Um, I guess uh, since the holidays have come around and I haven't been going to school, I've just kind of, um, I felt very, very lost. And um, I woke up like at midnight the other day because my sleeping pattern has shifted from like uh, 2 p.m. to midnight now. I sleep through the afternoon and I looked at the time and... I just felt really disorientated, but not in a physical way, like in a uh, psychological way, if that makes sense. It does. And can I, I, I just wanted to double check to, to, to make sure that, that you actually did get the memo from the head compound up here in Canada that uh, all listeners have to be on Eastern Standard Canadian time for my convenience. <laughs> so that may, may have been uh, what, what happened that I remotely programmed um, you to switch to a time uh, a schedule that was more convenient to me. Uh, and I hope everybody got um, that. Well, uh, my sleeping pattern has actually switched to the times when everyone is in the chat room. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, fair enough. Because it's American <laughs> people, right? So, uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, did, is there more that you wanted to say? I don't want to interrupt you if you've... Uh... Um, well, I, I was just like... Um, you know, what's, what's going on with me? Why um, do I feel so disorientated in my life? Because I've just been kind of floating around doing nothing. Like, I haven't really left my um, apartment much except to get food. I just mostly stay in bed all day and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, I'm just... I feel really directionless in my life. You're right. Okay, go on. Um, that that's all really. 
Well, it's uh, and this is no no criticism. This may be entirely the right thing for you to be doing, but it's it's you know like the song says, it's it's more than a feeling, right? I mean, you are directionless at the moment, which again is not a criticism, and it right. may not even be a problem, but it's more than a feeling, right? Right. Um, I mean, and this is without trying to put any stress or pressure on you. This is just out of sheer curiosity. I mean, what what is it that you want to do with two thousand and nine? Right. I mean, that's the great thing about this orbit of the planet thing that you get the reminder that life is fleeting and you know, we don't have forever. And uh, so what is it? I mean, where do you want to be this time next year? And again, you may have no answers to these kinds of things and that's perfectly fine as well. Uh, but I'm just sort of curious, right? What is, uh, what is the plan for, for Oh nine? Um, well, I want to start therapy again and really get into therapy and, um, just, get a job and like have a normal life have friends and stuff like that because right now i just sit in my apartment all day doing nothing and uh, uh what is the um i mean if you think of the alternatives i mean okay let, let's start I mean, you had a huge year last year right i mean you you got into therapy uh you broke up uh with your girlfriend uh you uh you had a very big year in terms of growth right Right, yeah. Oh dear, she's wandering off. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just <laughs> cooking my lunch at the moment. No problem. So you do nothing all day until you need to talk to me, and then you start cooking. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So um, <laughs> now that I have to talk to Steph, let me get through my list. Um, okay, so, um, so, so you had a very big year, and that is something that it's important to remember that at least for me, this is all again just nonsense theories, but life to me has been a series of progress and consolidation. In the same way that if you think about when you are an athlete, you have times of exercise and you have times of recuperation, right? So when you go through a particularly big growth spurt, so to speak, which I think you did objectively this last year, there is a time of consolidation of the progress, right? So, so I, I find that lassitude, uh, or you could say laziness or whatever is, is an important part of achievement. So that's okay. one possibility that there may be absolutely nothing wrong with what's going on for you at the moment, given the year that you had to take, uh, some time to laze, right? Because that's, that's good. That's something that's different from the, the stuff you've been doing in the past, right? Right. And inaction takes a certain amount of confidence, right? I mean, there's none so frightened as those who are always busy, right? Because it means that they, they have an excess of self-criticism. Don't these sweet dumbs. Sorry, not you. Uh, they have an excess of self-criticism, which means that they can't uh, not be doing something because then they self-attack, right? Right. So there is a certain amount of potential confidence that is in not doing something, right? Or not doing anything at times, right? Right. Um, so, so the first thing I would say is is to uh, you know to to be the broken record dude that I generally am, is to say to remain curious with yourself about why it is that you are where you are, not to have a judgment about it. This is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. But just to say, well, that's interesting. What do I feel like doing today? I don't feel like doing anything today. I wonder why. Not with, I wonder why, like, it needs to be fixed so that I can get stuff done and, 
you know, build a better jet and aircraft or, you know, launch myself up to the mirror with a massive medieval catapult or something, right? But just from, I don't really feel like doing anything today. I wonder why. And, and also yeah, yeah. what are the alternatives? Like if I think, <laughs> I mean, uh, to, to, to take a, an ancient 42 year old guy's example, if I say, uh, it's Saturday night, <laughs> you know, if, if Christina says, passed out and drooling on the baby who is passed out and drooling on Christina. If there's basically a drool moat uh, around the family um, and it's, you know, the grand old <laughs> grand old time of 9 p.m., uh, then I sit there and say, oh, well, you know what? I could go clubbing, <laughs> right? <laughs> I really could. I'm not saying it wouldn't require a mohawk or an afro, but I could, uh, I could go to a club, right? I used to go to uh, clubs all the time when I was in my teens and in, in my 20s and so on, right? So I could go uh, I could go to another disco and uh, I could, I could do that, but uh, I don't want to, right? Because um, <laughs> the only chicks I'm interested in are in my house, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I don't, right? I could, but I don't. So when you think of, okay, well, I'm home, I, I could be out, I could be having some job, I could be doing stuff with new friends or whatever. If you're like, well, I desperately want to, but I'm terrified of that or, or that makes me enraged or whatever, then that's stuff that needs to be worked out, right? Like I'm not sitting there going, oh, man, I'd really love to go to, uh, to a club and uh, gyrate up against the cage dancers. Uh, <laughs> I can do that at home when Christina's sleeping. But um, uh, if, if I'm sort of, oh, I have this massive desire to go and do that, but I feel inhibited because I feel like I have to be a good father and be home and blah, blah, blah then I have to deal with that ambivalence, right? And say that I have a desire that I'm fighting and deal with that. But if I just don't really have any desire to go and do that, then that's just where I am at the moment. And I don't imagine there's a lot of clubbing in my future, but that's fine because I have sowed my wild oats and <laughs> I'm very happy to be a family man. So if you're sort of thinking about the, the job and the friends and all of that and the, the new life, um, and you're like, well, I don't really feel like doing it right now. That's important, right? But if you have this huge desire to, to get all that stuff done, but then, you know, I'm just making stuff up. You have like, you know, big attacks of fear or whatever and, and so on. Then those would be ambivalences to deal with. But I don't get a strong sense that the latter is the case. It's more like you just don't have a strong desire to do that stuff at the moment. Is that fair? Well, I think I do, but I just can't motivate myself. So you think you like might I, have, I, sorry, you think you might have a desire. Yeah, because I, I really do want a um a career in graphic design, but um I just can't seem to motivate myself much at all. Well, but wanting and this is I mean, this is an important point that you're raising. Wanting something in the abstract is very different from wanting it in the moment. Right? So it's like <laughs> I don't know, everybody watches I don't know, some some rock concert, right? Or some music concert right and and everybody says you know man that would be it would be great to be a rock star right everybody i'm sure has had that thought at one time or another um and we we have that desire but that's very different from saying okay by this time next year i'm going to be a rock star i'm going to get music lessons i'm going to get singing lessons i'm going to get you know, shake your moneymaker lessons uh, offered by the James Brown Foundation. Uh, I'm going to get all of those things and I'm going to make it like a project plan where I have goals and steps and stages and, you know, milestones and this and that, right? So there's a very great difference between wanting something in the abstract and actually making it 
project status, so to speak, and, and taking the necessary steps, drawing up the timeline, planning, executing, all that kind of stuff. And it sounds, and again, tell me if I'm way off base, it sounds like you're a little bit on that. It would be great to have a career in graphics design, but you're not quite at the place where it's like, and here's the steps I do tomorrow, and here's the steps I do the next day, and here's the steps I do the day after that, and so on. Right, yeah, I, I think you're right there. Well, take a moment, mull it over, because if I, I mean I, this is just my my way of thinking, because it does. Like when you said, I, I you've mentioned this, I think, in the chat room too. Like I want this, but there's not a strong sense. And again, there's no criticism; it's just an observation. It's, there's not a strong sense that I have that that you have uh, the uh, the sequence down, right? It's like that would be right. nice as an end goal. Like it would be nice to visit China. And maybe I'll look at some books of China, but that's a long, a long way from when am I going to leave, what am I going to pack, how much is the plane ticket, and so on, right? Right, yeah. So to give you an example from your own post, and then I'll turn it back to you, you uh, are interested in coming to the barbecue in the summer, right? Yeah. And so that's a goal that you have, and you took some steps to begin to achieve that, right? You said, okay, I need this amount of money. Oh, my laptop busted, so I lost this amount of money, so I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to sell art. I'm gonna, whatever it is that you want, that's that's called moving it to project status, so to speak, right? Right. Not just like an abstract, it'd be great to be at the barbecue or whatever, right? Yeah. And actually, you don't need to shift to North American time just yet uh, because the barbecue's not till June. I just wanted to mention that, although it's certain, that is good planning. Just kidding. Um, but, uh, that would be, uh, uh, so, so, so as far as, you know, a career in graphics, I think it's really important to differentiate the daydream from the action plan and the daydream, just because it's a daydream doesn't mean it will never be an action plan. I daydreamed about being a philosopher my whole life. It doesn't mean it can't happen, right? It just, it's important to differentiate the two, uh, and, and to realize where you are because until you're in alignment with yourself, so to speak, until every part of you is gung ho, it's almost impossible to get anything done <laughs> of, of any real significance or that which requires a lot of planning. Uh, and it just sounds like you have a goal that's pretty hazy and pretty distant, but there's stuff that you're working on right now internally that um, is not putting that to the front burner, so to speak. Right, yeah. That doesn't mean, it doesn't gonna, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but I would stay curious about that and recognize the difference between a dream and a practical or active goal. Okie dokie. And no, nothing's going to happen until it moves to that active goal phase, right? The daydream is not yeah. going to, to get anything done. And my, my concern is that you're going to sit there and say, well, I've had this daydream for three months now and nothing's happened. You get, get mad at yourself, right? Right. But nothing will happen until it moves to that project plan status. How, how do I get it to um, project plan status? Well, I don't know. But, but because I don't know, this is a ecosystem question, right? How do I get all the parts of me aligned to this goal? Well, I think that the important thing is to remember that, to, to accept that you're not there yet, to also accept that you cannot will a goal. I mean, if you could will a goal, everyone could, 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 could quit smoking, there'd be no alcoholics, and everyone could lose weight whenever they wanted, right? Nobody right, would ever yeah. be in abusive relationships. There would be no war. Right? You, you can't will a goal. 
you can only be curious yeah. about why you're not excited. Does that make a make any sense? Yeah, that that really helps. Now I did a lot of talking about your problem. <laughs> was that actually helpful, or was that uh, uh, less? Um, I must tell you that my daughter got so yeah. excited that she peed all over me again, which is really quite a talent that she has. <laughs> I think she feels that I'm going to leave, and she wants to be able to recognize me when I come back. Um, she does not pee on my wife. The fluid transfer between my wife and Isabella is uh, a one-way street, and uh, it's pretty much the same way the other way with Isabella and myself. But um, but sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did a lot of talking about your particular issue, but and I just wanted to make sure that uh, – or to ask if that was helpful or useful or if there's anything else that would be useful to talk about uh, about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's given me um, a bit to think about. So, yeah, it's been pretty helpful. Yeah, there's no rush. Stay open, stay curious, and don't uh, – you know, you're not in a state yet where it's going to start working, where you're going to start making tangible goals towards that. Right. And that's fine. That's that's. There's nothing wrong with that at all, right? There is a state of warming up to your own life that is around lassitude and curiosity. Um, but recognize that the time that you have right now is a real gift, and that to actually, um, uh, you know, take the time to to be curious about yourself. And this is relative to your life as a whole. This is pretty stress free, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, baby geeks getting totally stress-free. Right, and and you've, as far as I understand it as well, you've not had a stress-free life before, right? Nope. So I would say, run a bubble bath and luxuriate in your first <laughs> stress-free time on this planet. Okie dokie. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Thanks, Steph. All right. I think I'm being. Uh, I think your food is ready, or we're down here, right? Is that is that is that? Is um, I'm halfway through it, sir. So. Okay. All right. Um, thank you so much. I hope that was uh, useful to other people. I'm sure that it was. So I guess we have time for a tiny, tiny, teeny, teeny, itsy bitsy yellow questionini uh, <laughs> with a martini from anyone else. No. All right. Yeah, the question should come from Isabelle. Why don't your nipples work, Daddy? <laughs> Why is it all taps and no plumbing? It's just not fair. Uh, it's amazing. I was just wanted to point out. It's also it's absolutely amazing how um, how adaptive babies are. Um, everything which works with with babies doesn't work forty eight hours later. You know, whatever <laughs> juggling trick you've got, whatever unicycle on the ceiling trick you've got to do X, Y, and Z simply was not working within 48 hours. They're incredibly adaptive. For instance, we used to get her down um, very quickly after she was born. We used to get her to sleep with uh, Crantinis. Now uh, it's changed to Bailey's. Uh, actually, no, Bailey's now, now actually she's single malt scotch now. It has to be at least 17 years age, and we're going to sort of switch to new things. So they're incredibly adaptive towards their environment that way. Which is uh, which is really quite exciting uh, because every time you sit there and you say aha I have a trick that works it's like no it really doesn't so anyway I just wanted to mention that so thank you everybody so much uh, uh, I appreciate uh, everybody's kind support uh, uh, I think that we uh, can sail on to new and higher and better horizons uh, from uh, from where we've been uh, I also think that um, this media stuff uh, was not was not bad uh, it actually I think has some real positivity to it. 
And uh, uh, I think that uh, I've I've tried to really hang back from having judgments about it as good or bad because it's it's all new to me. So I don't know other than to, to act with as much integrity and, and commitment as possible. Uh, I don't know how else to handle anything. So <laughs> I don't really know what the long term effects will be. I suspect very strongly that they will be uh, will be positive uh, and not negative. Uh, I certainly have found them to be positive so far and of course it was a bridge that we had to cross at some point and uh, the, uh, the predicted source of uh, someone uh, in the in politics whose kid took a break uh, was uh, was predictable in advance was predicted in advance that's exactly how it occurred and uh, I think that uh, um, it is uh, it is a positive uh, thing overall in that it's bringing more people to be interested in philosophy so We'll move on to new things, and we'll put all that stuff behind us, and uh, I'll continue to bat off the potential interviewers because it uh, just doesn't have any any appeal to me at all. There's nothing better than real closure with something that doesn't work uh, in terms of uh, getting any kind of balance uh, into the equation. So uh, thank you, uh, everybody, so much. Have yourselves an absolutely wonderful, wonderful week, and uh, thanks again to uh, Monsieur Le Tuttle for setting up the um, Psychology Book Club yesterday. That was a great deal of fun. And uh, we will uh, uh, we will pick up again next week and uh, talk to you soon.